This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to AHP. Thanks for joining me here for another episode, first episode of 2021. Wow. I guess what an interesting time what an interesting time 2020 was. I think most of us would probably be happy to see the back of 2020. It all started the early in 2020, which most of us know all across Victoria and southern New South Wales, all the bushfires. Uh, then we had the COVID-19, which locked most of us down uh, from being you know, able to get out and conduct our hunting activities. So I'm sure most of us are happy to kiss the ass of 2020 goodbye and start a new year of 2021. Hopefully this year, you know, COVID is going to die down a lot more than it has now, and we're going to be able to get out, do our hunting activities, get back to, you know, a normal life, because I think that's what majority of us want to do. Just want to get back to normal. Sick of hearing about these things and just want to get back on with normal life. So hope you enjoyed the first show of 2021. Today I'm talking with Northern New South Wales hunter Ben Honky. Uh, he likes to go hunting. He likes to especially hunt on public land, likes to shoot deer, likes to shoot pigs, likes to hunt all types of game animals and utilize their meat. So we're going to get to that show uh, in just a few moments. But I hope you guys enjoyed too the uh, recent shows we just did uh, in late 2020. So it was really good. I really enjoyed those. I actually got a lot, a lot of good uh, comments back, especially from the ones from Nico Harris. Uh, people like liked uh, the one with Eric Cortina as well on, you know, reloading and getting tips and tricks. And looking back at Eric's YouTube channel and looking back at a lot of the tips and tricks and, you know, I've actually incorporated some of them. They actually seem to be working pretty well. Might do something down the track with the podcast about that. But, yeah, definitely got some tips and tricks from Eric, that's for sure. And a lot of people did like that show uh, as well. They like to finish off with the, the straight shooting. They enjoyed that as well. Uh, and they also liked the one we just did about public land hunting. Now, while it probably wasn't that for the, the guys that are the really experienced people, it's just for people that wanted to you know get into state forest hunting and hopefully get a few little tips and tricks to be successful. So I hope you guys uh, enjoyed that one as well. So we finished off with a bit of a bang in 2020. Uh, in March, I think it's March 28th, coming up very soon, it will be a decade of podcasting. Can you believe it? <laughs> 10 years doing this show. It's uh, been absolutely fantastic. It's definitely been eye-opening, learn a lot of things. Um, you know, yeah, I don't really know what to say in 10 years. It's just gone so fast. And um, this will be the longest running podcast radio show in Australia on hunting and shooting activities. And I'm proud of that. And uh, hopefully there's many, many years to come. When it will finish, guys, I don't know. Um, I'm still enjoying it. I'm still having fun. I still love talking to people. I still love doing the show. And uh, I really want to thank, again, all the Patreon supporters that do make it possible. Because, again, if I wasn't getting the support, I've got to be honest, I, I probably wouldn't be doing it. I'd be going out and enjoying my hunting shooting activities just on my own and, and probably maybe making a few videos for YouTube. And probably that would be about it. So I just want to thank all you guys that, you know, put money, you know, basically put money behind the show and keep it going and allow me to buy microphones and equipment that I'm using right now. So thank you guys. If you would like to support patreon.com forward slash AHP. If you can't as well, that's fine. You know, I'd love you just to share the show with your friends and family, share it on social media. Yeah. Tell people about it. I mean, that's equally as good. Um, 
I can't really ask for more than that and just, you know, share it and enjoy the show. So thanks very much. And like I said, if you want to go to the website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au, if you want to email us for any reason, want to read something out on the show, straight shooting or any of those shows, uh, yeah, email me at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. And like I always ask, I always get a lot of questions still about where you can hear the show. Of course, you can hear it on the website. You can hear it on Apple Podcasts or iTunes as well. Uh, you can also hear it on the Podbean app. And also I do just to make life super easy for people, uh, which takes me a long time to do all this, but <laughs> I, do, I do upload it to YouTube as well. So if you can't really find it anywhere, just type in Australian Hunting Podcast on YouTube and they're up there ready to go. Uh, all for your listening pleasure so i think we should probably get into the show because i really haven't spent a lot of time over the years talking to a lot of people that hunt in state forests and i think that's a lot of people do hunt in state forests and including myself actually um, i still have a few private properties but i do spend uh, a bit of time throughout the year especially during you know deer season hunting on public land and i think if you can get good at that and you can get some tips and tricks where it might be difficult to find game on public land if, the, if we can work out some tips and tricks to help Ultimately, I think a lot of people hunt on public land and those tips and tricks can go a long way in making those people successful. And most of the people that probably don't have access to private land, so public land pretty much is the only way they're only going to be able to get game. And if you can learn some tips and tricks, like I just said, you know, you're you're halfway there. And I wish I'd have known some of the things I knew back then that I knew now. (laughs) So anyway, anyway, I think we should get to the show with Ben Honky. It's going to be a great one. Ben, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for joining me. Great to have you here on the show. Appreciate it. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate being invited on. No worries, mate. I guess I'll tell us about yourself, number one. I guess how you got into a bit of shooting, you know, where you're from, age, you know, what do you do? Just give us a bit of a background, man. That'd be that'd be awesome. Yeah, um, I'm 29 years old, uh, 30 next year. I live currently in Tamworth, New South Wales. Uh, born in Corindai, which is about 45 minutes drive from Tamworth and sort of went to school um, between sort of Werris Creek and Corindai. Um At the end of primary school, we sort of, we bought 100 acres out of town between those sort of two towns. Um, and I guess that's when I sort of picked up some archery equipment and got pretty interested in doing that sort of stuff. What's it, what's it like living in, in Tamworth? I mean, I know a few people actually live up sort of Tamworth way. What's it like for hunting? I guess what's it like for living? I mean, a lot of people, this is questions I get all the time from people about, you know, they want to, like, I mean, hey, this is my question too, including me, uh, wanting to get out of the Sydneys or the Melbournes or the big cities and want to get out to somewhere just a little, you know, obviously Tamworth's uh, quite a yeah, busy inland town, but just getting out of those major cities into smaller town to get more hunting opportunities. Yeah, look, Tamworth's great. Um, there's not there's not a whole lot that we don't really have here that the cities sort of have over us other than, you know, some major sort of sporting venues. Everything's sort of here. We've got all the, you know, major shopping centres um, and multiple of. Um, it only takes me 10 minutes to commute to work every day. Um, and if I realistically, if I wanted to drop everything and take a rifle out and go for a shot, I can be doing that within 20 minutes. 
Yeah, that's the best part, isn't it? That's the part that really, you know, I've got a pretty good job, man, so it's hard to leave that behind sometimes. You know, I've been there for a long time. <laughs> I want that redundancy one day, you know what I mean? So I can't afford yeah. to I can't afford to leave. And, you know, sometimes I think I'm probably not the guy to go out and, and source that. I'm a bit, you know, in my own world, you know what I mean? And it's just when I see guys out there, you know, these rural towns, they get to go out hunting a lot. I'm like, man, I'd love to do that, you know. But you know, when you grow up in Sydney, you my family's in Queensland now, but soon to be Port Macquarie. Uh, you know, it's very hard, you know. It's very hard to sort of leave all your friends that you know and in your life to sort of move where you don't really know anyone. And, you know, for, for hunting, it's, it's it's quite a big call. Yeah, it definitely is a, a, a big sort of call. Um, I do – I work as a um, surveyor, um, been doing that at uni as well for the last sort of five years. Um, so part of that job is obviously setting out, you know, different houses and stuff for people that are building and we've actually had a chat to a few people that have, you know, sort of, they have actually, you know, sold up a, you know, say a one bedroom shoebox in the middle of Sydney there somewhere for, you know, 650,000 odd. And then, you know, they've moved up the Tamworth and they bought like a 4,000 square metre lot and they're building like a five bedroom house with a cinema and a pool in it. So, <laughs> and still having sort of change left over. So, yeah, I, I, I guess, but yeah, it would be hard to definitely make that lifestyle switch if, you know, you've got friends and roots elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. What What's it, I mean, being in a, you know, I guess you're just a large inland town, would you ever trade it to go back to a city or anything like that? You probably couldn't handle it. Hey, I don't blame you. I can't handle it either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I don't, I don't think I'd handle it even because um, where we lived on 100 acres, we were sort of 15 minutes from, um, the village of Corindai and, you know, all you could hear out there at night time was just, you know, animals, frogs, crickets and stuff. And then we moved to a little um, three-bedroom unit in the edge of Tamworth here when, at the end of year 12. And I don't think I got a good night's sleep for about two or three weeks just because of uh, road traffic noise, sirens, different things like that. It um, actually took me a fair while to adjust to that. Yeah, I know. I live on a bit of a bit of a main road too at the moment. You do get used to it, but yeah, my mate came over a couple of weeks ago and he goes, "Man, like it's like eighty kilometres an hour." I live on a quite a large um, freeway, and he goes, "You know, he goes, how do you deal with this, man?" I said, oh, "I've got my townhouse is the one at the back, so it's pretty accessible to the you know the freeways and stuff like right there, so can't really complain, you know." And he goes, "Oh, I don't know if I could handle this." And I said, "What do you mean? You live like on a back street right around the corner, you idiot? What are you talking about?" You know? <laughs> Like, it's not as if you live, like, you know, you're not out at bloody Orange or something or Dubbo or Tamworth or, <laughs> or you know, down south or anything. Like, let's get serious here. But when you were talking about the 100 acres, what was that? Were you living on the land there? Or was it just, a, like, a block planning on? Your parents were planning on sort of building on there? Was it more of a hunting block? What was it? Uh, yeah, so it was actually um, some family friends of ours sort of owned it, and it used to be – it was like an old conference centre back in the day. They obviously did some development out there and – eventually fell through i guess and they stopped using it um they sort of bought it up turned it sort of half into a house but like it didn't really have any fixed bedrooms it just sort of had like like those partition walls you get in your office blocks in sydney's across to <laughs> delineate stuff <laughs> yeah. uh, so we we purchased that and um dad sort of went through built built walls essentially turned it into bedrooms um yeah, and it was sort of 
it was a really it was a rough block of land like it was the reason it was probably so cheap like it wasn't good agricultural soil it was very rocky covered in a heap of cypress pine trees iron bark white box that sort of thing um but obviously with that meant that you know it held some wild goats and feral pigs and rabbits and foxes from time to time um never anything really permanent but you know stuff would definitely like i guess feed through yeah sounds interesting i mean you, so how did you when you're going back a little bit earlier so when you were got the your parents had the acreage there or was that how you, how you got into it was your dad into shooting or was it you know an uncle or was it nah just thought well, we've got the land that's naturally let's get a bow and let's have a go <laughs> how'd you get into it yeah well um i guess we'd already um yeah dad was the sort of the hunter in our family um Used to do a lot of archery and bow hunting when he was in his teenage to early adulthood. Um, and I guess he sort of hung that up a bit when he had us kids. Um, but, you know, the bows and stuff were always in in the shed and I used to go out there and, you know, and have a look at them. And obviously being a little kid, couldn't really pull back a 60-pound compound bow and have a go at it. But we used to, you know, just get some sticks and some rubber bands and then, take some arrows and fling them at some improvised targets in the backyard. Um, yeah, and it wasn't until we moved out to that 100 acres and, you know, obviously a bit stronger going into, you know, being early high school when, you know, it's time to sort of have a crack at this target. So we cleared a, a strip for an, like an archery range and I think we could shoot up to about 50 or 60 metres at the longest point of it. Um yeah, and we set that up, and then every afternoon after school, I guess we just, my older brother and I just grab bows and go down there and fling them at targets. With the with the bow, what was the what was the reason for that? I mean, just easier to get, great place to start. What was the reason, you know, for sort of starting off on the bow? Yeah, well, I guess it was sort of there. So there was no outlay expense like Dad already had. You know, sort of four bows in in the cupboard, not doing anything, and about two quivers full of arrows. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, once you started getting into it, you realised the gear was pretty dated and wanted to invest in some new stuff. But it was a good, well, it was just a free starting point for us, essentially. I guess it was just easy to pick up and run with it. When I look at some of these things too, you know, you look at you know a rifle and how a rifle works. It's pretty much been the same for. You know how many years? You know, hundred years, pretty much, give or take. You know, the, the at least the cycle of it's still pretty much the same. But when I see some of these bows, and I see some of the guys on Instagram, you know, showing some of the old style bows, and then the new compound ones, and the things they've got, I think, wow, that technology. I mean, again, still the same sort of thing, but the way the technology, you know, the poundage of these bows, the arrows you can use, and all the and some of the aids and that, like. So, you know, technology is amazing thing. I wonder what it's going to be like in say the next hundred, two hundred years. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And even like since, so I think it was about 2003 I got into archery and even the changes, you know, to equipment since then are phenomenal. Like they're just improving, improving, improving all the time. You know, the bows get faster and faster and, yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy. But, um, yeah, but it's also, I, f- I find that archery is getting more and more expensive. I don't know if that's just, mainly to do with all our you know archery equipment comes directly out of the united states and our dollar's not doing real crash hot comparatively there at the moment yeah for a while there went 
down like six months ago, wasn't it? Um, you know, <laughs> our dollar went to absolute shit. So it was we couldn't buy anything. Even if you were wanting to buy, you know, things you couldn't get here overseas, you, you bloody couldn't get anything. If you were, you were paying double, and it wasn't worth it anyway. So yeah, definitely. But what about your dad? Is he does he still get out with you, or does he does he just tell you to bugger off and go out on your own, or does he <laughs> like still hunting with you, or does he get out with the kids, or you got any brothers or sisters that hunt as well, and it's a family sort of family affair, or? Yeah, no, I'm sort of I'm sort of alone in it um, on the hunting side of it. My older brother, he sort of got into it. We were both doing the archery thing, and we used to head out together on weekends and stuff. But I sort of I sort of branched off and started going out with an older guy I knew from high school, whose uncle ended up moving into the house below us. Um, so we used to head out on weekends with him, and then. After a while, you know, when we we're finally getting some, getting into the goats fairly consistency and stuff, I said to my older brother who was busy playing guitar and stuff, I said, you know, let's grab the bow, come for a walk, we'll get you onto a goat, we'll get you onto a goat. And, you know, he was he was actually pretty, he was probably a better shot than I ever was, um, something that sort of came fairly naturally to him. And we got him onto some goats and some pigs. But, um, yeah, I don't think he's picked up a bow really since then. So, more than ten years ago, but um, yeah, I'm sort of I'm sort of the the sole hunter in the family at the moment, mate. We've got lots more questions coming up. Just going to get a quick break, and we'll be right back. Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spiker, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers offers flexible, zero-interest payment options including Afterpay and ZipPay. Order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836. Ben, when you were hunting on the land, I mean, you had your, the acreage there. So when you, I know you said the animals were moving through, but I was just thinking, did you ever get on lucky enough to, to get onto any goats and pigs on the land? Or um, I don't think I ever actually ended up taking a goat on our hundreds acres that we owned. Um, I remember uh, my best mate from high school, Jason, came out um, for the weekend one day and we were sort of just mucking around in the backyard doing some different stuff and we spotted, like, you know, this white thing up on the side of the hill and I'm like, oh, what's that up there? And ran into the house, grabbed a set of binoculars, have a look at it and I'm like, yeah, that's a goat. And it was only, like, you know, 300 metres up behind the house. So... You know, quickly grabbed all their camo, grabbed our bows. And I think we stalked into within about oh, 30 metres, this small mob of goats. Um, but just as we were sort of getting ready to take a shot, the wind changed direction and they were out of there. Um, yeah, that was the closest we came on our land. But, you know, we were fortunate to have um, some pretty good neighbours up the road who owned much larger lots. And, yeah, that was where we got most of our stuff. Yeah, the old Judas goats, I call them, the old white goats. You can, the poor buggers, you know, like every time I see them on a hill and you're, you're glassing and you think, 
you know, I, I'd, if I was a goat, I'd have to get rid of the white goats out of, out of the pack because the white goats <laughs> give everybody away, mate. You know, and I was just, I just every time I sit there, I go, these poor goats, like the other ones that you know, maybe like a blacky Blenheim colour or whatever they call it. You know, they've got a bit of that reddy black on them. You can't really see them unless they're sort of moving. You know, but you see the white ones, they just give them away like dogs' balls, don't they? Pretty much. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's definitely it. you can see them from like kilometres away. And they, it's not like just like a dull white spot. It actually, it's like a fluorescent glow from kilometres. You don't even need binoculars to work out what it is. Exactly. Uh, even um, in like Tamworth itself here, there's a mountain behind town called they call it Flagstaff, like the main peak on it. It's got some radio towers and different things up on it. Um, and there's a small mob of goats that sort of hang around there on the council land and. You know, I think my brother-in-law asked me about it one day. He said, oh, you know, would you get deer or goats or anything up there? I'm like, oh, there's definitely goats. And I said, oh, just have a look up there. We'll spot one there in a minute. And, yeah, fair enough. We spotted this mob, about 20 goats moving around on the side of the hill from – have to have been about three or four kilometres away and just stand out like nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like blaze, almost like wearing blaze orange in, like, state forests, you know, they just gives it away big time. I was like, if, if only they knew old mate was giving them up, they, you know, they probably wouldn't want to hang out with him anymore because, like, mate, you go that way, we're going this way. Like, you're on your own now. Or if there's any other white ones in the crew, you're all on your – all the whiteies are on your own, you know. feels like real life now, really, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, what about uh, any – I mean, when you're not hunting, so do you – I know you – Obviously, bought. Obviously, went into. We'll get. We'll go back just a little bit. So, obviously, you got started in bows. When was it when you sort of started purchasing your your first firearm? Well, that sort of sort of happened probably a couple of years after I got into the bows. Um, over near Gunnedah every year, they hold like an agricultural field day called Agquip, um, and we used to always sort of take the day off school and head over there and have a look at stuff we didn't really need any big tractors or any farming equipment but it was always good to just you know go over stretch legs for a day and eat a steak sandwich in front of some cattle and um we happened to be walking through a bit of a pavilion there one day and there was a couple of guys running the firearm safety test um and i sort of said to mom i said we should get you know we should do this and you know get some 22s or something like that and she said yeah, well, righto. So she did her safety test and I did mine with her and she applied for a full licence and I applied for my miner's permit. And I think back then it took nearly six or nine months for those to come back. Um, and then as soon as mum got that licence back, we purchased a couple of just secondhand 22s. I think one of them was a Sterling and I don't even know what the other one <laughs> was. Um, couple of 500 bricks of ammo and then obviously just sighted those in and then just used to for a while there probably sending a 50 pack every afternoon after school just <laughs> getting the hang of it which was <laughs> awesome fun being able to you know just come home get mum to get them out of the safe and then you know just shoot some targets for a while that was that was heaps of fun yeah, I still regret selling my old Sterling twenty two. I really do, eh? Just it was accurate, but, you know, I ended up buying two, two more twenty two since then. But I was like, I never used this thing. What do I need it for? And then sold it. 
and then three or four years later went, oh, wouldn't mind a 22. And so I bought a CZ, then went to another rifle, then bought another CZ and then sold one and then still got two 22s. But, mate, best thing to start on the old 22, isn't it? Yeah, just easy, cheap. I mean, when you're probably flogging 50 down the tube a day, mum probably wasn't too happy, was she? Going, this bastard's taking all our money because I've got to keep buying more 22 ammo. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a bit like that, and it was sort of one of those things. And it's like, well, when you run out, you run out, and it'll be a while before you get another brick. So, <laughs> did have to learn to pace yourself a little bit there. But um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, good, good memories with the twenty two. I mean, just fun, isn't it? Just get out there, you can just plink, you can shoot, you know, shoot a few cans or something, or you know, um, yeah, bunnies and you know, even foxes to a certain, if you get them in you know, close and you can hit them in a good spot, you can, you know, shoot some foxes as well. You know, pretty versatile fun and good, good cheap to start on, I reckon. Yeah, that's it. And I, um, I sort of regret, I sort of got to the end of my miners permit and registry did send me out my paperwork to apply for a full license. And I sort of, I was super into the bow hunting at the time and I went, no, nah, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to, take everything with the bow i'm gonna you know be a bit of a purist and a elitist i guess you could call it um <laughs> and i sort of had that idea in my mind so i just sort of had the paperwork sitting in my cupboard for, for ages and then i sort of it was because in when i was 17 just before that minus permit expired a mate of mine in tamworth he was taking me out with his 22-250, which is probably the second centerfile rifle ever shot. But, um, yeah, we used to take that out and do some sort of long-range fox control under the spotlight um, when the sheep were having lambs in the spring. Um, and, yeah, that was that was really good fun. And, obviously, I've let that licence sort of lapse and then just did the bow hunting thing for a while and then obviously got – um, got married, had a couple of kids, and then sort of went, you know, it's sort of, I want to go out and get a feed of venison, but it's sort of taken, it takes a while to get one with the bow. Like, it's a big, dedicated task, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna renew my licence, I'm going to get it back. So I actually found the paperwork, called up the registry, and they were like, yep, just, um, we'll just change the address on it, and then you just send it in. and. Yeah, they did that a couple of years ago and haven't looked back. Yeah, that's the that's that's the hard part about bows. I mean, and a lot of guys that are successful, but geez, it takes a, it takes definitely it's a dedicated thing. You know, I, some I struggled for years to even get one with a with a rifle. So you know, having the opportunity, wrong place, wrong time, wrong angle, whatever it may have been. You know, coming around a corner and they're standing right in front of you. Um, you know, there's always some reason why I couldn't get one. And when I think, you know. Trying to, you know, goats. Sometimes I've I've been successful to get, especially goats. They haven't been shot at too much. You know, you can get up on them pretty quickly. Sometimes they even know you're there. You know, and they don't really care. But you know, <laughs> deer, nah. There's no way you can get. You know, get. And it doesn't matter how much they've been shot at or whatever. But then, it's so interesting because deer sometimes exhibit. When I've had them initially, the more interactions you have with them, the more I think, yeah, they don't do that. But then, I've had times where I've shot one of them for an example. And the other one's buggered off, but I could sort of still see it, you know, maybe through the trees. And then it's come back around to check out its mate. And then I've shot both of them. And you think, well, what happened there? What was, was it, was it, the, was it the young? What was it? What about brought it back? Was that the mother? You know, and then you sort of start learning all these things. And then, or it pops its head back out. And you're like, that's impossible. Like, normally that deer would be gone by now. Like, and 
I guess each deer is different, but you never know what's going to happen when you have, you know, an interaction with, with deer. But getting into that 20, 30 metres to a deer, it's like, mate, got to respect those guys that can do that. Yeah, well, like I've, I've shot one deer with the bow. Um, it was a fallow deer, and I think it took me about, not dedicated time, but it took me about six years to get that, like going out. Like that's how many sort of seasons we sort of went out. And I've got video footage on my SLR camera somewhere. And I think that stalk had to have gone close to nearly two hours. Like that's how long it took me to get in bow range of that doe to get it. And when we started the stalk, we weren't even 150 metres away from them. So, you know, already sort of in that rifle range <laughs> by the time exactly. that stalk had even started. But, um, yeah, and like, you know, that was, and getting back to that, like I was sort of, you know, I got myself down into a little bit of a, a valley, like a little bit of a gully, and I knew they were just on the other side of it and they were feeding towards me. And um, I looked back at my mate Jason, he sort of gave me, you know, the hand signal they were coming up over. So I, I quickly drew back and just waited. And then the first doe that sort of um, came up over the gully took, took the shot at and, you know, she probably only ran 50 metres downhill and piled up and just being sort of cautious, not wanting to make a spook and get up and run a heap on adrenaline. We just waited, you know, the 20, 30 minutes. And uh, while we were doing that, um, we spotted a young spike start walk up the hill and I sort of just made a bit of a squeak sound at it and um, it ran right up to us like, it had to have been about a three or a five metre shot. And my mate Jason smoked that one with his new bow at the time as well. So, yeah, that was a pretty memorable day. Mate, uh, interesting thing. I mean, I always ask a lot of people when they come onto the show, you know, um, you know, when they, when they met their significant other, obviously married, got a, you know, you got three kids. Um, what was it like when you sort of, you know, I mean, probably being in Tamworth, probably a little bit easier than being in the city where I'm from. But, you know, you went on a date and however you met your, your, your now wife and you eventually, you know, said, well, I like a bit of the shooting, uh, a bit of hunting. What was her first reaction to that? Yeah, look, I, I think she handled it pretty well. Um like I had sort of the bow and everything in my room and I think I had like a deer skin down on the ground at the time as well. Um, and it was just probably sort of knew I fished and everything like that. And so, you know, um, it was probably, I met her in January and I think it was sort of, it was probably just early March. And at the time, you know, obviously red and fallow in New South Wales had deer seasons then. So, you know, coming up the 1st of March and my mate Jason from, like, best mate from school was teeing me up to, he's like, yeah, let's go for a deer hunt, let's get out, let's get out. And I sort of went, yeah, right. I said, I'm going to go go hunting. And she's like, oh, right, eh? And she's like, what do you hunt? And I told her, and like, you know, we hunt deer, goats, and I don't even think she had any idea that, you know, we had deer in Australia. But, um, <laughs> yeah, then sort of told her that, you know, if we get a deer, we goats we keep the meat from it and you know nothing goes to waste and i think you know she had a pretty good understanding of that and yeah probably half the reason i married her <laughs> <laughs> oh mate i've always said a lot of people it's 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 quite hard i've, I've had many a conversation where as soon as i said hunting 
<laughs> that was the end of the, the conversation. Door, yeah. yeah, that was the end of it, you know. And then people yeah, yeah. often ask me, they say, what, what should I do? And I say, well, I can't tell you what to do. But you know, people <laughs> say, should I you know, tell them straight up, you know, bang, like first conversation that I go hunting? I said, well, you know, look, I used to be that way. And sometimes, yeah, it did. It does definitely, if they, if they don't know you as a person, it definitely does you a disservice. But I said, you know, you're not really lying by just – you know, not withholding the information, but why do you have to tell someone, you know, the first time you meet them, exactly everything you're into and what you like to do? I said, you get to know a person first, and that's the idea of getting to know someone. And then eventually when, you know, if you feel like there's a bond that it may go further, you know, within a month or so, you know, maybe a month or two months, whatever that would be for, you know, how fast you're moving in the relationship, you know, then decide to, you know, let them know. And then once you've built a bit of rapport, I said, they're probably more likely to understand it when there's a bit of rapport built than just go out on a date, you're at the pub at let's say the you know the local at Tamworth and say hey yeah I like a bit of you know yeah I'm a hunter I'm a shooter I've got lots of guns and that never goes down <laughs> too well man trust me yeah I, I think yeah I, I think I tend to agree with you there I think if it's the first thing you're sort of blurting out when you meet someone they might go oh he, he must really really like it if it's you know the first thing he says but you know oh yeah yeah I, yeah, I don't think it's lying to withhold it for a little bit. I think, you know, just everything in due time, just, yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I said build rapport and then, you know, and then if you think they're worth it first, like why do you need to blurt out to someone you don't know, like every little intricacy of what you do, you know? Like you don't, they're probably not telling you things they enjoy and stuff like that. So maybe it's not hunting. <laughs> Imagine if it was hunting. I said, oh, I'd be like a match made in heaven, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And yeah. But then again, you know, there's also too, you know, the, have you, and this is another interesting question as well, has the, um, the wife ever come out hunting with you, you know, because I get a lot of guys call me up and they say, well, just your know, questions say, well, oh, I mean, I've got a you know, new girlfriend, she's into hunting, it's awesome, yet I speak to another person and they're like, no way, man, I want to get this hunting's my downtime with my mates, I don't want anyone <laughs> coming, I just it's my downtime to relax, I don't want to be doing, you know, my wife, I've got things that we do together, but I don't want it to be this, whereas some guys love their missus getting out hunting with them, they just love it, so which side of the fence are you on, I guess? Yeah, look, I um I applied for my R license, like to hunt state forests in I think 2011, which was the year I met Sarah. Um, and just while I was waiting for it to come back and sort of be approved, I said, you know, let's let's go for a drive up to the state forest and you know put some camo gear on, put some blaze orange on as well, and just went for a bit of a walk around looking for tracks and signs and. Yeah, she had a she had a good time. Took some photos and stuff like that. But I've you know I've I've asked her out to you know come for a hunt every now and then, and she goes, you know, it's just she's she gets it, she understands it. We had a lot of wild game meat at home, but um, I don't know if she's fully comfortable with the idea of taking that life herself yet. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I don't think she's just ready at that point, but um, you know that might change one day if she wants to come out and get into it. I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, she's just like you get out there and you get us that meat if you know what's yeah. good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, we'll just go to a, a, another quick break and and we'll be right back. Gunkeeper has been developed by the National Shooting Council to help gun clubs with cash grants to help them keep members and keep their doors open. It also helps gun dealers and other shooting businesses attract and keep customers with incentives. If you run a gun club or gun business, make sure you put your hand up for Gunkeeper today. 
For more information, go to the National Shooting Council's website at nationalshooting.org.au. Mate, before we get into a bit of the bit of the, I guess the crux of the podcast and getting into more talk about the hunting, I mean, when you got into guns and shooting, you started getting your license and that. I mean, do you do any? Do you just purely just hunting now? Do you do any you know target rifle, you know, rifles, pistols, shotgun, whatever it may be? Do you get into any of that, or mainly just when you've got time, really spend it in the bush just hunting? Yeah, look, I don't, I don't do any target disciplines at all. Even my license is my two genuine reasons are like recreational hunting with the R license and, you know, vermin control slash recreational hunting that uh, my wife's uncle signed off on because he owns a bit of property about 20 minutes from our house and always needs a hand cleaning up foxes around his sheep and different things like that. Um, I'm, it's probably not that I don't want to do it. It's that, um, you know, having a full-time job, um, I'm still studying at uni. I'll hopefully be finished at the end of next year. Um, and obviously wanting to hunt and fish and having three kids it sort of leaves you a bit time poor. So I guess maybe once the uni's finished up, I might look at oh, maybe joining like a clay clay shooting club or something like that. It's something that sort of gets my interest a little bit. Um, the other thing, because I study – um, like surveying and the degree is actually, you know, it's a Bachelor of Spatial Science um, surveying and, you know, it's sort of got me curious about, you know, like your extreme long-range shooting because of, so I guess, how heavy it can be on the math side of it. So that's sort of something that interests me a little bit, but I haven't um, gotten out to a club or done any of that yet, no. I was going to say, don't get into that, man. I, I've gone <laughs> down that hole. And the wife's not going to be happy with the expenditure. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> it's like scopes you need. I mean, do it now. Seriously, do it though because it is fun. It is. It is. And you know what? It's good to learn your rifle and learn what a gun really does. You know the the calculations. I mean, even though these days it's pretty much done in a thing. But why is this gun doing it? And how is it doing it? And what am I doing to make it happen? It's uh, yeah, definitely a rabbit hole that uh, I never thought I'd be interested in, even remotely, dude. Even remotely, and then. Started doing it, I thought, man, this shit's cool, eh? Like, this shit's cool. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying much. I'll probably like you. I prefer more hunting, but you know, you do have to learn and train. And you know, people might go, goes, oh, well, you shoot it at 800 meters or a thousand, whatever it is. And I go, well, yeah, but I hit it. Then what? And he goes, oh, then you just go a little bit further. And I go, and then I hit that. And then what? I was just like throwing money down range, pretty much, which is fine. You know, <laughs> got a bit of don't have any kids or a wife, so I got expendable, you know, income. So it's no, it's it's fine. You know, but at the end of the day, like, what's the point of that? You know what I mean? Like I said, to train, sure, but, you know, that that's the only, bit, you know, benefit that pretty much I see in doing that. But I said, you know, not that it's not bad. It's just if that's what you want to do, that's that's totally cool. But, you know, there's nothing better when you do have that experience to sort of, you know, we've started on rabbits at, you know, like if you follow the Instagram, one, you know, 100, 200 metres and then popping a couple at three to 350 to 400 and people saw, people just think it's easy. Like when they see this happening, they go, oh, you know, 400 metres. I go, do you know what a rabbit looks like at 400 metres, dude? <laughs> you know, like an eight-inch rabbit across. Like it's not... Dude, it's not easy, man. They're moving around. They're eating heads up, heads down. They're jumping around. They're you know, playing with each other out in the on the rabbit warrens. I said, you know, it's not easy, dude. Like it's a, it's a whole new science, you know. And it's not like shooting a small yeah. little target or a big target or a deer at four hundred meters with a larger caliber. I mean, you're talking smaller ones. You can use bigger calibers, but you know, it's it's <laughs> it's not easy, <laughs> man. You know what I mean? But it's uh, definitely worthwhile. I I would recommend it. That's for sure. 
Yeah, I definitely think um, a lot of people struggle with um, averaging distance. Like, you know, even I've seen, I don't want to name anyone, but I've seen people go, oh, you know, took, took, oh, we set up some targets at a thousand meters today or something like that. And you sort of have a look at the video and I'm going, you're probably only half that. (laughs) It's hard. um, It is hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, unless you, because I know, wasn't using a rangefinder or anything like that. And then you're sort of like, without, you know, a rangefinder or something, a bit of validation, or, yeah, I think he's just guessing. And, yeah, like a mate of mine said he's heard people at gun shops talking about taking on the run shots at pigs at 500 metres and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, how tall of a story can you try and tell? <laughs> no, no. Sometimes no, it's hard, isn't no it? no way. Yeah, no. it's like... Yeah, I think people would be very um, surprised at what things look like under a scope at those sort of distances. It's Yeah, it's not easy. It's not. And the money you can spend. I mean, I, I guess I'm talking to a mate the other day. He goes, I want to get into it. And I said, I, mean, I, don't, I don't even have, like, well, sorry, not crash shots. It's mid-range gear. You know, it's only an average off-the-shelf, you know, take a rifle with a, you know, with a scope on it. But, you know, mate, I said, that's probably to get that set up. Uh, I said, with a two grand scope, that's, that's a five, five and a half grand package right there. You know, that then if you, you know, you factoring in reloads, your brass, your, your bullets, your powder, you know, your bipod that goes onto it as well. Um, you know, that's, maybe it's got a new stock on it as well. You, you know, yeah. so, mate, you're up to six grand. That's that's by any means not even – it's it's, it's a, let's say a low to mid-range. You know, it's only a f- off-the-shelf factory. It's not a $3,000 gun or anything. It's like 1500 bucks, 1800 for a varmint <laughs> style or whatever you want. And then I said add a two-grand scope, add all your stuff on it, your reloads. You know, I said, yeah, yeah. Man, you have to see six grand. And I said, well, you can do it cheaper, but, you know, like that's low to mid-range. You get high range, man. You can spend 10 to 15K. Like it's just no problem, you know, like especially if you yes. want to buy a four grand scope, you know, go to your gunsmith, get a fully made rifle, you know, barrel, you know, custom build. I said, mate, it's it's not cheap, mate. It's not cheap. But, you know, you, you, if you only have one, then it's perfect. And, you know, just get the best out of it if you can. Yeah, yeah, I think it's definitely sort of a – I know it's a big expense, um, and I guess that's probably why it's still on the back burner because, you know, if I want to do it, I probably want to do it right and have a half probably mid-range to a high-range sort of set up, and that's obviously not going to be cheap, and I'm going to have to do a fair bit of negotiating with the other half before that ever gets <laughs> off the ground as well. <laughs> Just uh, like another thing too is like when we get all the meat too, it's like how much do we invest? Like when mate goes, i got to go on a hunting trip and like cost me like you know fuel and, and food and getting down there and you know all those expenses that you need to you know, pay you got four wheel drives you got all this stuff and he goes like I spent like 500 bucks on this trip he goes you know like a, he has a might not have got a deer or might get a deer you get a small eater and he goes I got like you know 15 18 kilos out of it he goes it's not really much when you think because he could have went and bought 500 bucks worth of meat I said yeah but it's, <laughs> you know it's not about that though it's about being with your mates and, yeah. that, and and then I think that's what most of us like I said I love the hunting as much as the next guy but for me it's you know I get disappointed and pissed off a little bit when my mates can't go because they got you know I'm single they got families and I get that and you know because I'm said man I'm, I'm only a- not angry but I'm only upset I mean I want you to come like I just I love that camping time I love just sitting around the fire with friends and and that's just as good as the hunting to me eh? like that's that's what I enjoy yeah yeah and me too sort of like um I'd sort of um coerce my brother-in-law to he'd done a bit of shooting and stuff when he was younger and 
um, stuff like that. And then I sort of coerced him into <laughs> getting down a rabbit hole of rifles when I applied for my license a couple of years ago. And he applied for his license not long after I did mine. And he had to wait. I got mine back in six weeks, I think. Like, well, got my photo advice letter and he was waiting, I think, in the end, it was like 20 weeks or something like that um, before he got his back. Um, and he only lives 10 minutes from my place, so, you know, we can always sort of tee up and go, yeah, let's go for a hunt. And, you know, we're quite, we'll sort of try and plan a trip and we'll go, yeah, we'll leave here in the afternoon, go for an afternoon hunt, set up camp in the dark, light a fire, have a couple of beers, have a feed wake up early, go for a hunt, hunt till about lunchtime, then sort of come home. And in the grand scheme of things, you haven't really been away from the family that long and you've had that good sort of out time, outside campfire time. Um, yeah, I really enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah, mate, totally agree. That's just half the fun. My mate goes, oh, why are you getting the shits? You know, I don't get the shits, but, you know, I'm disappointed, you know. And I go, mate, I just like that. I love getting, you know, I, one of the best trips I ever went on was probably last year. And we, there was about, oh, seriously, because, you know, with, with the whole COVID thing and then when we opened up a little bit in New South Wales, um, you could, you know, the, the hunting was back on, you know, so it was all good. And then a bunch of guys that couldn't go. Like normally if I got like, say, 10 to 12, 15 friends that's sort of into it, you know, there's ones that can go regularly. There's ones that sort of might get the once a year trip anyway i said to him let's go and, and all of a sudden yeah one goes yep i'm in i'm in I'm at eight nine <laughs> ten eleven twelve and then there was about 12 of us by the end and i'm like shit man i gotta find a place where we're gonna be able to camp <laughs> up with like 12 four-wheel drives 12 people, yeah. yeah like seven or eight three by three meter gazebos you know with all our <laughs> tents and swags i said jesus christ i said i should have i should have to uh, Cull a few people, you know, but honestly, everyone got on one of the best trips I've literally ever been on in all the years I've been hunting. Well, that sounds that sounds pretty good. It sounds like you all should have pitched in and got a big like um, pavilion marquee type thing. We should have, <laughs> eh? yeah, we should have got those ones with no floor. You know, it's just like a marquee, and you put it up, and then you know, but everyone stays inside it. Like even put a little fire in there, not a fire, but those little um, what do they call them? Like a little you know enclosed little pot belly type yeah, little thing, pot yeah. belly. Blue fire, whatever they call them, I reckon that'd be awesome. But no, nah, it was just everyone got on, man. It was just, and only one of us got a deer, so it was, uh, you know. But you know, that's not why you go, then, is it? But we'll talk about that too. We want to talk about. We'll get into the crux of it. Is um, you know, do you do more hunting on on private land or public land? And um, give us your top two to three, say, hunting tips for let's say private land and the difference, which I want to concentrate on, because a lot of us spend a lot of time, and I know you have too, on public land that listen to this show. So give us your top two or three tips for both private and public land. Yeah, righto. So um, I'm honestly probably hunting fifty fifty between private and public land. Um, do like the occasion. I'll probably do like just one or two more trips out to. Um, sort of wife's uncle's place to shoot foxes and do some pest control out there. But um, it's sort of only, we'll just sort of, it's once the kids are in bed, we'll grab the O-lights and we'll drive out there and walk around for a couple of hours and then sort of come back before midnight. Um, <laughs> unless, of course, like a, <laughs> we did a spotlighting trip um, early in the year, I think it was February and early February stinking hot it was still like 35 degrees at like 9 p.m at night i think we only walked i think we we're about 150 meters from the house um and we spotted some deer up on the hill and i was sort of like well 
I do need to fill the freezer and I had the 308. So, um, yeah, took a nice, nice fellow buck. And I know, you know, most people go, oh, you know, it's under spotlight. It's not hunting, but, um, you know, freezers don't fill themselves and you get way more meat off a, a big old buck than you do a doe. So, yeah, that worked out well. But I think by the time we got home, it was, oh, it was well after midnight by the time we got back to the house. And then I think we were up until about 4 a.m. just breaking this thing down because the outside temp was still in the low 30s. You know, we had to get it on ice and cool it down fairly quick to avoid any meat spoilage. Um, but, yeah, getting back to your, to your question, uh, uh, private and public land, um, all my big trips are public land, um, especially multi-day ones because private land I have at the moment, you can sort of cover it in in a day or half a day and you're sort of scratching your thumbs wondering what to do. So, yeah, we'll head out there. We've got a heap more to explore and, you know, we always try and – we'll try and one of our sort of tips is we'll hit – a spot where we saw game the previous trip. Um, and if there's no fresh sign or anything, we'll just move on, try and find something else. Um, but the biggest biggest tip I've got for sort of public land is um, you need a good set of binoculars. I don't know how many times you'd be looking at something down across a, a gully and you're going, yeah, that's definitely a pig. That's definitely a pig. And then you finally pull your binos out and have a look at it. And it's just the end of a stump. Like <laughs> you wouldn't want to climb down like, you know, 300 <laughs> yeah. metres vertical elevation in this big steep gully to find out you're just looking at the rotted end of a log. Ugh, you know, it's so definitely... many times. So many. <laughs> and we did it when we were younger with the bows a lot. You go, that's definitely a goat up there. That's definitely a goat up there. And you'd get up there and realise it was just a, a, a log or a rock or something. You walk kilometres. Like, well, geez, we did some legwork back in the day. But, um, Even yeah, when I have hadn't... the binos, I'm looking at them. Like, I go, what's that up there? What's that? And he goes, oh, yeah, I can see it next to that little white thing next to the tree. And I go, yeah, just the end of a rotted out stump that got termite damage. And I go, oh, I swore that was a deer, man. Like, <laughs> thankfully, I got the binos, so we didn't have to move anywhere. But you look and go, what's that? What's that on that hill next to that shrub? So goes, yeah, I can see it. So, oh, no, it's just a log, man. I go, oh, God. <laughs> yeah and um yeah another tip for sort of public land that i have and this price of private land as well is just to just to slow down like um and i guess that's one good thing that i have learned from bow hunting from a younger age and then obviously transitioning into rifle hunting and i do sort of still bow hunt every now and then there's a bow hunting only forest fairly close to town here that i go to occasionally for goats um but yeah, just slow down. Like we'll sort of walk a little bit and then we'll find a nice spot to sort of sit and have a glass and we'll just sit and listen. And I think, um, especially in some of the more heavily vegetated forests, like moving around is just so noisy through the scrub, like all the dry crunch underneath your foot. And like when you're sitting down and you sort of get that upper hand on the animals, like you're having a having a bit of listen, a bit of a listen around. And the last hunt we did this year was oh Hang on, what's that? No, it might have been late last year, actually. Sorry, it was before all this COVID business anyway. But, um, yeah, we'd sort of walked around all morning. We hadn't hadn't seen anything, but we found this area and it was fresh hot with sign. Like, there was sign everywhere of pigs and deer. And we went, there's a bit of a clearing here. We'll just sit on the edge of it. And within about 10 minutes, my brother and all was passed out of sleep, having a snooze in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just sitting there having a listen. And about... About 10 minutes later, I heard heard some leaves crunching 
down over the side of a gully to my right, like that was really thick. And I'd hear this crunching, crunching, crunching going around. And, you know, I, I sort of slowly started creeping over the crest of this sort of ridge to just look down in the gully and see what was down there. And, and it took, I was looking and I could see there was this tall, like sort of razor grass that almost comes up to your waist and you could see it move every now and then and you could just hear crunching. What is this? What's, what's in here? And, um, there for ages and ages and ages, like, what's here? What's here? What's here? Then eventually I spotted a bit of black and I was like, you beauty, it's pigs. It's not a wombat or something that I've been wasting my time <laughs> waiting to find out what it is. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And eventually I, I finally got, I was almost ready to pull the trigger on one. And then I heard, um, Bo whispering from up the hill and he's like, he's like, pigs, pigs. And I'm like, sort of where, like with hand gestures, obviously not like talking. And he sort of pointed back across the clearing. I glanced back over my shoulder and there's a big mob of, mob of pigs, like a big spotty boar and a sow. And then a heap of sort of, I guess, yearling sort of size pigs. And I said, oh, you take the shot because he had a better, he had a massive, he had a massively better shot than I did in all the thick stuff. And he sort of took a shot and dropped the big spotty pig um, with his seven mil oh eight, and not long after that, the pigs that were in front of me actually moved out of the really tall grass down into a little bit of an opening. Um, and they're only young pigs, like probably only like I don't know six or nine months old, and I smoked one of those with the three oh eight because still hadn't blooded it in. Um, it died on the spot, and then I went back up to help Bo, and he was sort of a bit frustrated. I'm like, well, what's going on? And he said. I shot it and it hit the deck and it was just sitting there spinning on the ground and then kicking its legs a bit and he thought it was over. And then when he got about 20 metres up from it, it just jumped up and took off. Um, yeah, we didn't find any more blood on that one after that though. Um, we just kept finding these massive snakes in the long grass. I mean, one of them, <laughs> there's a brown snake as nearly as round as like your forearm sort of thing and another big red belly sitting on a log and we looked around for that pig for hours and couldn't find any more sign of it. And But the thing was, it, given the vegetation it was sort of in, it could have been like three metres from you and you would have never known, but yeah. Yeah, it's, we're getting that time of the year too, aren't we? That's um, probably halfway through by the time this podcast goes live. I mean, we'll be in the thick of it with snakes and that. So wear your gaiters, make sure you're looking where you're, where you're stepping. You don't want to be, you know, make sure you've got your A-perbs and make sure you've got your uh, first aid kits on hand too. Very, very important stuff. Yeah, and I, I guess that's probably another good, the good tip for, you know, hunting public land and, especially probably public land, is always carry, you know, some sort of safety device. You need to be able to contact someone if something goes south because I guess we're sort of a high-risk sort of sport, so it's not likely that something would go wrong, but if something does go wrong, it's chances are it's going to be pretty bad or life-threatening. So, you know, you do want to be able to make contact fairly quickly and you also always, always, always carry compression bandages um, especially hunting the northern state forests, like they're just they they are like there's a lot of snakes around, and I think if you're not seeing them, you're probably 
stepping over them. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I always told people, like I said, you know, some people don't. I'm like. I get it, you know, like they want to they carry the bandages. And I'm like, if you're hunting with a mate that is with you at the time, that's fine. He can run back for help. But I said, most time I'm hunting deer, I'm, you know, we, we might go to camp, but we're on our own hunting. We don't, sometimes we might go together for just a bit of a, you know, we've already shot a deer and we go, oh, let's go for a walk and we'll just go sit somewhere with a mate and all that. But I said, you know, it's okay to get bitten. But I said, if you've got nowhere to get help, I said, you can compress and bandage the wound, but then what? What are you going to do? You can't walk out of there. So you've got no way of contacting anyone. So you're going to, instead of dying fast, you're going to die slow. So I said, get, you know, if you've got a family and if you don't, man, someone's going to miss you. It doesn't matter who you are. So, you know, yeah, someone's not going to want you to wake up and get a call that you're dead, man. So get an EPIRB. Like, I mean, yeah, 250, 250 bucks, man, could save your life one day. I mean, if you never use it, well, that's great. You know, I mean, that's, that's ideal, isn't it? You know, 300 bucks every five to 10 years. Um, yes. You know, what's that? Fifty, fifty six dollars a year? It's nothing. I mean, to save your life, man. You got a couple of kids. You know, like people just don't get it sometimes. Like I used to have mates carry nothing. I said, mate, you get bit and you're toast, man. You're absolutely toast. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And that's um, you know, I, we don't um, we don't, I don't really hunt alone anymore. Like I have done it, um, and I think I was hunting like a a bow hunting only sort of state forest. And I'd gone up there because it was not long after it, I guess it like I was like, Oh, I can finally hunt this state forest. It's new uh, nearly open and sort of went out there and I had no one I had a <laughs> my wife's cousin has his R license. And he's a bow hunter and a rifle hunter. And um I said, Yeah, you come with me. And he's like, Oh yeah, right. And he and then he went, I can't book into the forest. And I was like, Oh, why not? There's still a, a spot free. And he went, and then we eventually worked out that for some reason or whatever, when he'd done it, our license, he hadn't um, tested in the category for bows. So his license was only it was valid for rifles, dogs, and black powder, but not not bows. So he couldn't come with me, and I'd already sort of booked it. I was pretty keen, and you know, I sort of was like, I'm I'm going to go anyway. And my wife wasn't really happy about it. She's like, you know, what if something happens? You know, you're on your own, and I sort of was a bit stubborn and went anyway. And I was following a mob of goats, and up the top of the hill, I was walking along a track and nearly put my foot on a brown snake. Um, yeah, so I, I guess that was sort of a, a subtle wor- a warning that I, you know, it's probably time to, you know, take the safety game of it outside pretty seriously and, you know, always, I never go on my own anymore, always have someone with me and, um, yeah, I don't have an EPIRB yet, but, you know, we don't split up when we go hunting, I guess. we might Someone might hang back like 20 metres or something while someone goes for a stalk, but... Yeah, we sort of buddy up, stay together, and yeah. yeah, but I'll definitely be investing in an EPIRB anyway. Yeah, I mean, people say, oh, you know, like 250 bucks or 300 I think some of the ones, now that the ones I had were five years, but I think some of the one, most of the ones now are 10 years, I think, you know, I'm pretty sure. And, I mean, you know, 300 bucks for 10 years, I mean, that's pretty cheap, man, you know. Like, you look at about $50 a year, if that, you know what I mean? So, 40 bucks yeah. a year, like, you can't go past that. You just, you know, and I said, you know, most of us, like, we might go with a lot of guys, but then we'll split up, especially if it's a new forest, like that, you know, when we went with those other, my other friends, that big group of us, you know, it was, it was a good thing to 
test out the area. Like I said, we should be going separately anyway, just because one, it's better because there's less noise, and two, we can get a feel of the forest. Come back in the afternoon, have a chat. You know, what do you guys see? Anything? You're seeing any sign? Did you see anything on the road driving out to your spot or where you thought was going to be good? And then, and then, you know, getting on foot from there, where you're seeing anything, and then you get a really good indication of different parts of the forest, whether it's worth going back there or not. You know. Yeah, I guess that's probably not a bad sort of tactic. Like, you know, many feet on the ground would make quick sort of groundwork of finding spots to hunt. Um, we hunted a forest earlier this year. It was actually like probably two or three days before they sort of shut the state down for COVID. And um, we sort of picked an area, hunted it hard, and we like, you know, come down all these tracks, all these gullies. And then when we finally come out to this area that we wanted to hunt, we spotted there was a like a Hilux sort of parked up in the scrub with a tent and everything set up. So, you know, obviously someone had been hunting that area pretty hard for the last couple of days. And, you know, I guess you could probably avoid <laughs> stuff like that, I guess, wasting your time. If you've got a lot of people around, you know, you work out, the spots and I was actually having a chat to someone who'd hunted that forest before. Um, and I'm, I haven't actually tried this yet, but he says he goes up one afternoon, drives around, drives around till he sees a deer or something off the side of the road or run across the road, makes note of it. And then just goes back there in the morning and he reckons that hasn't really let him down yet. But um, yeah, in, definitely an interesting sort of tactic, but yeah, not one I've put into practice yet. Yeah, and a lot of times too, that is true. You'll see, you know, driving around. I see that all the time. Like you just, even if you get to, you know, you're getting into the forest late at night. Obviously, not hunting at that time, but you know, you're driving in maybe to set up camp. You've got there early or late. It's not, you know, early morning, whatever. It's still dark. And if you're driving around and you, you know, deer will be moving around. So you see them going across tracks, and you thought, oh, this is this is positive. And then, yeah, you, know, you might see a few more in that area. And then, you know, maybe you see some sign on the ground where you know it might be decent. You know, I've been to some forests where you, you know, in winter time you hardly see you know, anything, and then all of a sudden you go to another forest or to the other end of the forest and on the ground because it's been wet, you know, dewy. Mate, it's like deer mecca. You're like, look at these footprints. Yeah. They're absolutely everywhere, all across the, the, the drive tracks, and there's just deer going from here to there. You just see them everywhere. Like it's, you know, again, got to do your scouting, got to find out where they want to be, and, you know, that's why when we go with a bunch of guys, we normally separate just to give us an idea on a new place where they're going to be. Hey, if you got like 10 guys coming back saying, man, I didn't see nothing today, didn't see anything that even looked like an animal, and we're all saying you go there for four days and there's you know, 10 guys saying the same thing, well, you know it's not that – maybe it's not that great or you're in the wrong spot or with all the places we went are not great, you know? Yeah, well, um, and I guess there's there's a favourite forest of mine sort of within an hour of home and there's always a little section on of the forest I've always done well in. And for a couple of years, they made it exclusion zone. And so I almost, I really didn't get up there at all. Um, and then they finally opened it back up. And so I was hunting around. And the sections where I used to go, like, you know, probably eight years ago, I was like, you know, the, we used to always see deer, pigs around here, at least like heaps of fresh sign. All the sign was old, like hadn't been used in months. Like, you know, all the diggings were dry and, you know, oh, you know, maybe they moved on and, well, maybe it's and then you know a little party is going you know maybe it's shot out you know maybe too many people are hunting here now and i think we walked around we walked around like all day and we walked right up the back section of this forest about 5k from that spot 
Um, and then that was, yeah, that was when we um, found that other fresh sign and got onto like those pigs. Um, and even after we shot those pigs, um, when we were walking out, probably an hour later after I'd taken some meat off the young one I'd shot, um, back where we'd already walked through before, there was, we spooked, like we'd come around like a corner of a blackberry bush and it's just deer standing there like 20 metres away. <laughs> tell you what, there's just there's just nothing you could do about it. Neither of us had a round chambered, you know, rifles are slung up over the shoulder. They were just gone. <laughs> Yeah, it, was, it was absolutely sort of heartbreaking. You sort of you're like, damn. <laughs> it always happens, mate. It's happened to me yeah. plenty of times. You know, I've wanted to go back to camp for something to, for lunch or something. Just you know, just go out in the morning for five hours and then come back for camp for a couple of hours, maybe a quick twenty minute, half hour snooze or an hour. Get back up, talk with the guys, go out for three hours in the afternoon, and then I'm walking back and then, oh, what's that noise? And then you see the arse end of four fellow running off. I'm like, well, where were they this morning when they were supposed <laughs> to be? In like I'm, I'm, you know, going down into this gully, you know, and I'm, I'm, it takes me like an hour and a half to walk a kilometre down through into a gully and, and 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 moving around. I'm like, why are they again? It's it's twelve o'clock. It's midday. What you know? I've figured yeah. out. Yeah, and you can shoot them any time. Anyone that says it's just morning or afternoon, I just don't believe that. I've shot them any time of the day. You know, most of the ones weren't you know morning or late afternoon. Yeah, I've had good success late afternoon, but I've I've shot them at ten o'clock when they've come out. I said, oh oh shit, they've popped out of a game trail at ten o'clock in the morning. Ten thirty, fantastic. You know, eight thirty, yes. nine o'clock. There's no real. I just haven't found any real pattern in regards to those sort of time frames of time of day, like yeah, you know, six a.m. Within half an hour, you're seeing them. I just, I don't think I've shot. I think I've shot one that early in the morning. That's it. Uh, that's it. Rest of were like nine yeah. o'clock, eight thirty, nine thirty, ten. It's just, just, yeah, there's no real pattern there. Yeah, and I, I, um, it was actually when I, I did my R license at the time. We had a game council branch office in Tamworth, um, and I think. I think you've had um, Ned Maycomb on the show here before. I think I had a bit of a yeah many listen years to that. ago. Um, yeah, many years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I remember chatting to him, and you know, his one of his sort of tips for, especially for hunting, sort of state forest, was don't assume like something's going to be somewhere. Like you know, don't go. I'm only going to see you know deer out on this clearing first light, last light, and that's it. He said because you're just You'll miss all your opportunities. And he, then he said, then he showed me a photo of a, a big boar he'd caught with his pigs. And he said, we literally got this, I think it was only like 200 metres inside the gate of the farm he was hunting. And he said, and it was normally a section I'd never seen any pigs there before, but he learned years ago to, you know, you, as soon as you go in that gate to where you can hunt, expect to see something straight away. He's like, always expect to see something. And he said, because the other thing was his dogs didn't actually – pick up that that pig was there he had to sort of manhandle him a bit and point him in the right direction and sort of kick him off the air to go and get it <laughs> um and yeah and I, I, I ever since he sort of said that it sort of stuck in my brain a bit and then you know all these like you just yeah you got to always sort of be ready and expecting to see stuff and like you said and you go just because you've sort of gone i'm giving up and going back back to have some lunch and a bit of a cat mat doesn't mean the deer have they they live their life out there all day every day they're always out there they're always going to be somewhere 
Exactly. I remember I was. this was a state forest many years ago, and I was coming through this little stream. Told this story before, but it was when I say it's a stream, it was dried out, nice grass in the bottom. So I came, as when my mate was with me, this is why sometimes I say go when I go on my own. And I came down through this little stream, like it dipped down about two metres, and I, yeah, it was only about two, three metres wide. I come up the other side, and uh, this was an area that uh, was you know, sort of renowned down south for, for horses and stuff and brumbies. So I come up the other side, and I just... I was turned to my left and then I just I looked over my right shoulder and I heard something moving. And I thought, oh, what's that, you know? And I thought, oh, and I just started to see the top of something. It was coming like sort of, it's going to come to my right. Like if I don't move, it would come. I'd be looking like straight to my right and there it would be. So it was coming over my right shoulder. So I had my head over my right shoulder and I said, what's that? I said, oh, freaking Pete's sake. These Brumbies, man, they're pissing me off. Like just bugs off, you know? Anyway, it started to move higher, right? And... I look. I just. I, I, I didn't know what to think, man. I just. It, get, it moved up, and I just looked at it and, uh, and I turned forward again, thinking, "Oh my God, it's coming towards me now. Now it's going to screw up my heart. I've got to wait. It's going to be staring at me, and and probably huffing and puffing. And I'm like, just buzz off, you know? What am I going to probably bit off going back the other way? You know, as it continually moved up to where I was, I could obviously it became more in view, and I said, "Holy shit, man! That's that's no uh, that's no Brumby, man." And I'm then mind you, stag. I hadn't shot a deer at this stage yet. It was a big. St- I don't. I don't think it was a sand, but I think it was a big dark chocolate. The biggest deer I've ever seen to this day. I still remember it now. Was that? It's that on my mind, and I just my eyes just opened up, and I hadn't shot. And my mate's coming through the thing behind me, and I've got my left hand down, sort of le- left of my thigh, just saying, "Stop, stop, stop!" You know, like don't move. And then anyway, got to my right like right next to me and then i thought if i let it keep going this was all happening all very quickly but it was, only, it was just mosing it wasn't moving quickly or anything i thought if i let it go eventually it's going to keep going the same way as me and it'll be in front of me about 10 meters and i'll probably be able to shoulder the rifle and have a shot at it and i'm trying to stop my mate then he hit it he hit a stick and then and then it just darted its head left at me and it's so I'm, I'm staring at the right it's looking right at me 15 meters away and i'm just staring there just staring at it there's only a small little shrub in front of me it hasn't got much foliage on it and you can see its head it's darting left and right to have it like a good look you know it's like what is that you know is that something and then i'm just standing there and i'm like don't move don't move i'm like got my hand there and then it, it's staring at me its head's darting like what is that what is that you know and then eventually it, it I just did, didn't didn't move him didn't move him muscle you know and then it just eventually turned its head put its head up and then it started walking again and then my mate's still moving behind me coming through the thing and then bang it hit it again it, it, a bigger noise again then it just turned and went gone mate gone and that was it and I said oh man like just <laughs> my heart was racing you know what that that's hunting man that is hunting you know yeah. like when your heart's racing and if your heart's not racing I'm mean, still to these days I have. You know, foxes come into the core. The hair stands up on the back of my neck. I think if you're not, if you're not freaking out or your heart's not racing, man, it's not hunting. You know what I mean? If you, if you just, it's just like anything else. Oh yeah, bang, there it is. Eventually, I think you'll learn to control that a bit better. But it's like anything. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I um, I think you probably definitely learn to control. You know that nervousness and stuff after a while. But uh, every time I'm stalking something, my heart rate, you know, goes to the roof. I feel yeah. it like sort of pounding, like without having to touch my pulse or anything like that. You know, uh, you definitely, definitely know you're alive. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I get, I get, I get super excited. Like, you know, you come around the corner and you spot a mob of goats or some deer or something like that. And you know, you, you know, you've spotted them first and you're in with a good chance. Like, you know, you know, you can pull the stalk off. The wind's right. You know, that's 
it's good stuff. And just the you uh, mentioning that story about that deer actually reminds me of the first time I ever hunted a state forest. I um I sort of picked a spot that, funnily enough, um my girlfriend Tom, now wife, we sort of walked through, scouted it, and we'd seen heaps of deer sign there. So I went first day I get my license, I'm booking a hunt, and I'm coming to this section. So went up there, and I'm I parked the car. It's probably about. Oh, I was just pre sort of that first light sort of stage of the morning and sort of parked the parked the old Bravo and getting all the bow and camo and blaze orange and everything out, getting ready. Um, and then I could hear this real low, like, you know, full drive sound coming towards me. I'm like, oh, no, someone's already been been here. And anyways, this Land Cruiser you come up the track with Guy, a couple of pig dogs on the back and, he stopped and had a chat to me and he's like, he's like, oh, what are you chasing? I said, oh, I'm after deer. And he said, oh, I've seen heaps of deer sign, like just down down the road, about 100 metres or some fresh tracks across the across the full drive track. Like they're only this morning. I thought, oh, you know, thanks for that. I'll go and have a look. And anyways, he drove off and I thought, I'm not going to see, I'm not going to see anything. Like, you know, he's just driven up this track. He's spooked everything in the whole area. I'm hunting, blah, blah, blah. And, I was only about 100 metres from the car and walking along this sort of really old remnants of a, like, car tracks, completely overgrown with grass. Um, there's a few blackberries and stuff, sort of open, sort of scrubbish type stuff, so pretty good for state forest. And, you know, walking along, and then I've spotted spotted some ears over the top of the blackberry bush. I'm like, oh, bloody wallabies. Like, you know, they're going to they're gonna run off now and spook anything around, blah, 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 and... And these wallabies are only like, you know, 10, 15 metres from me. And I'm like, there's probably four or five of them. And then I'm going, oh, these damn wallabies. And then I look at the wallaby sort of to the right. And I was like, oh, its ears look different to the other wallaby. <laughs> and then it was at that point, it just sort of struck. And I'm looking at a mob of four chocolate fallow. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> they're only like 10, 15 metres away. And there's one wallaby sitting next to them. And it was because I saw that wallaby first. If I was through, me, I sort of, I sort of quickly, well, not quickly, but just slowly dropped down below, like out of their eyesight, below the blackberries to knock an arrow. Drew back, and by the time I come up, they were already, you know, ascended about 50, 60 meters, and then they ran out to about a hundred, and then sort of stopped and looked back. But yeah, they're probably the least cluey deer I've ever come across, and funnily enough, on public land that. You know, it gets hunted. It gets hunted really hard. I actually haven't been able to book into that forest for the last sort of six months because it's been booked out like every every day of the week, um, which is crazy. But yeah, <laughs> it's funny, eh? When you least expect it, when you least expect something to happen, that happens. So, and that's a good tip too, as you said before. You know, like you'll least expect something to happen, and it will happen. You know, and. You know, when I got my first deer, it was the same. I just heard this crashing through. I was sitting on a game trail and, you know, that's 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 been my most success. That's the number one tip I could give. Find out where they want to be, even if you're on fringes or whatever it may be. Find the game trails, find where they want to be. And then, you know, find a gully or something that you think is going to be good and sit and wait. You'd be surprised what you see, man, between 6 and 9 a.m., 
you know, sitting there yep. for two hours, if you can handle your own personality and your own brain, you know, working <laughs> overtime. And, you know, sometimes I've done it too. I'm looking at me far. I haven't even got coverage. I'm looking at photos on my phone going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And I look up and there's a deer about 40 metres when I go, oh, shit. And then, you know, it's like it's already on to me. And I'm like, maybe I was moving my hand. Or I don't know, but they're on to me. Wind's, wind's in the good position. I go, well, it couldn't have smelt me because – and then it's boom, just darted back up into the game trail. I'm like, oh, man, this is what – that's all it takes is you lose concentration for – 30 seconds that's when they're going to be there trust me you know yeah. it's just it's happened so many times I think why did I do that like I could have had a nice buck here but now I've got nothing congratulations you know yeah you know it actually um so reminds me when I back in sort of my high school sort of days when I used to go down to my mate Jason's place and he had a few good access spots for for deer and there used to always be a spot up the top of this private property that we'd sort of sit and have sit and have a snack and every time we were sitting there like and this happened probably three or four hunts in a row every time we were sitting there having something to eat a deer would come trotting down this hill see us trying to grab our bows and stuff spook and then just piss the hell off out of there and anyways i said to jason i said let's go like we hadn't we'd seen a couple of things that morning we hadn't seen much i said let's just go sit up under that tree again like you know the usual spot I said, you eat to keep him distracted. I'll knock an arrow and I'll just be ready to draw back and shoot a deer if it comes down. And like clockwork, 10 minutes later, this doe comes prancing down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sort of, I was sort of like in front of the tree. So I sort of tried to just draw back slowly, but she still sort of caught my movement, barked at me, then, you know, ducked out to like, just out of bow range and then took off. But, you know, like, hadn't she have seen me draw that bow, that probably would have been the first deer ever shot. Like, you know, and that was that was sort of like a good good tactic. And even now when I'm hunting state forest with the rifle, like if we stop to, stop to sit down, you know, the rifle's always sort of – I'll sort of chamber weight and just put the safety on and keep it in one hand and sort of eat with my other hand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep, sitting and waiting. I've had it times where that, that's another thing too, where it always seems to be people go, well, what do you do? And I said, yeah, but if you're hunting, you know, three, 400 metres and you haven't got a round chain, but I said, that's totally fine and you know, don't rely on safe, that's true. I said, but when I'm sitting there, that's what I normally do. I've got, you know, I've got a little, little mini chair, like it's a little fishing chair that I actually can connect to my back of my pack and I walk around yep. and I unclip it and then I've got to, I sit up against a, a tree or a pine tree or a log and my, it, it elevates me a little bit higher, keeps me off the ground, keeps the, keep you know, in this case, any snakes want to, you know, have a bit of a, you know, try and come up up on me and that at least I've got you know I can not move at least it's not going to you know, get near me and me sitting on the ground and I freak out I said so it just it just it just works it keeps me up higher and you got to be on to the, I found sometimes like this is not the case you can be lucky if you haven't shot a deer you can have a chance to shoot it but there's no chance I've ever seen anywhere especially in state forest where you're hunting say 50 to 150 meters where you're going to be sitting in a gully and you're going to go chink chink up comes the bullet from the magazine, chink, chink, into the rain, and then try and shoot that deer. It's just not going to happen, man, because I've nah. tried it and I've lost two to three deer by doing that. So whatever methods, and again, I'm not going to tell people to be unsafe, but whatever methods you think are going to help you, but obviously, A, you have the safe on, number one, and even if you have it half-cocked as well, that way you can actually carry it without having, you know, issues. But again, it's up to the individual whether they think, you know, some people go, oh, that's not safe. And I go, man, I'm sitting on a chair with the gun across my lap, facing in a, no one else around me, facing in a safe direction. Like, what's not safe about that? So, you know, and yeah. again, I've had the thing where literally I'm just, it's, 
20 minutes before dark and I'm just you know, looking around. Oh, yeah, turn left, mate. There's a deer. It's just popped out. And I'm like, all right, yeah. I use my my elbow on my knee as like a little thing for – I'm not very good at shooting standing up on a prone, you know, like sort of a prone, a standing up position. So I put my knee on my – so my elbow on my knee, put the gun there, it gives me a good – and I've shot deer up to 130 metres doing that. And, you know, it's been quite successful. So that's uh, another tip for people that are listening. If they, you know, sit there and wait, you'll be surprised what you see. Foxes, birds, goats, wild yeah. dogs, um, you know, just – birds start chirping it's amazing what you can learn just just sitting and waiting and you know if you get a bit tired have a rest have a break have a sit down then go for another bit of a walk you know 500 meters you know into some other area have another sit yep. down again you know do it all over again like and then you know that way you're not you know if your fitness is not the best like probably like mine like some people you know just gives you a thing of rest move the next spot rest move the next spot then you're covering all these areas and it's just time in the area yeah yeah and definitely definitely agree with that and that's sort of the tactic that we sort of use hunting forests is we'll walk sort of we'll sort of walk to an area where we can see a fair range and then we'll sort of we'll sit there and wait for a while if we don't see or hear anything promising we'll we'll move on to say the edge of that area like within the next radius and so they the areas sort of overlap a little bit but then you're looking into new ground and we'll sit down and do the same thing again and we'll just keep keep listening keep looking around just keep looking for sign um and yeah most of the stuff actually i think i could nearly say without a doubt all the stuff i've shot in state forests has been come from doing that exercise of just slowing down sitting down waiting walk a little bit further you know sit down wait have a look around there's not much i've sort of got from i don't think i've gotten anything from just you know trudging around and till I see something and then, you know, by that stage, they've probably already seen you or heard you coming and you've got no chance of getting that animal on the deck anyway. Exactly, especially those deer. You know, I mean, you can't, it's very, very difficult to, you know, if they're on you, I found, again, not always the case because I've got mates that, I've got a mate that's just got the luck of like a messiah and he'll just <laughs> shoot two deer. And he goes, oh, yeah, I was just walking up for a game trail. They're just staring at me. And I shot one and then the other one just stood there and I shot the other one too. And I said, how do you do it, man? <laughs> How do you do? Oh. You are like the god of all deer hunters, and he gets like one on every, you know, like not every trip, but it depends. Sometimes this is private land, sometimes. Because, oh, no, I was just there and I just, you shot it, and then the other one come back around and had a drop, popped its head out, and I shot that one too. And I go, geez, man, you've got the luck. Like, I wouldn't believe you should buy a lottery maybe he's ticket. Got like a, yeah, maybe he's got like a fast draw. Like, maybe he's an old sharpshooter. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> I go, what happened? He goes, well, we're making, no and then sometimes he goes, oh, mate, I was trudging through, making noise. And then I just looked up and they were staring at me. And I shot it and I go, man, like, why doesn't that happen to me? Anyway, <laughs> mate, we're just going to go to one more break uh, and then we've got a few more questions and we'll finish off. So we'll be right back. The new Zeiss Conquest V4 line of high-performance rifle scopes combines tried-and-true Zeiss optics with a rugged and functional design, providing high-definition glass. Enhanced with T-Star and low-to-tech protective lens coatings produces 90% to the eye-light transmission. This means excellent low-light performance and resolution across the entire magnification range. Zeiss Conquest V4 rifle scopes were designed as a lightweight, high-performance scope for demanding hunting and shooting applications. Visit o usaaustralia.com.au to find your local dealer. Zeiss, we make it visible. Mate, any, um, I guess we'll talk about, like, I didn't I didn't ask you actually what your favourite game animal is. What do you like to hunt? What's your number one? Oh, my number one 
is deer now. I guess sort of where the property we grew up, like where I grew up hunting, only really had like the pigs and the goats. Um, and it wasn't, you know, till halfway, like, you know, a bit into high school and, you know, mate Jason got into hunting as well. And where he lives is heaps of deer. Like, you know, like there was, there was, there was more deer there than anything else. And I think that's sort of still an ongoing thing down in that area. Um, and I sort of, you know, shot a fair few goats and pigs by this sort of stage. And, you know, that the deer, I think just the challenge of them, like, um, you know, goats are fairly forgiving. Like if, you know, you stalk it in and you make a crunch or something, they'll look up and stare at you for a bit, but you can normally, you can normally win that sort of stare contest. Like they'll give up and go back to feeding after like five, 10 minutes. And the thing I found with deer was once you, once you sort of blew that cover, like you made a crunch or you made a movement that they didn't like, they never let up. Like you could stare at them for an hour and they wouldn't take their eyes off you the whole time. And then they eventually just walk off still looking back over their shoulder at you and barking and carrying on anyway. And I guess I sort of, I fell in love with that challenge of, um, you know, just how switched on they were as an animal. Like I couldn't actually believe how much smarter they were than, you know, your goats and your pigs. Yeah, exactly. I see a lot of guys stalking in on, you know, like pigs and that. And sometimes they're, from what I understand, again, I just, that's the funny thing. My mates have shot pigs. Again, they've got the best of luck. I was like, I've never even, I've been to a lot of state forests over the years. I spent a lot of time in them, days on end, four or five days. Normally, if I'm going to spend, drive four, three, four hours to a trip, I try and get at least a four day hunt in, you know, try and get some time off work. And I've never even seen a pig. I saw a dead one on the road sometime, might have been hit by a car or uh, didn't look like any gunshot wounds. So it looks like I might be just hit by a car. And I was like, that's the only one I've really seen. I've just never had the luck of sitting and then seeing a you know a couple of little mob of pigs with a couple of little piglets and had a chance at them. But man, I wish I did one day. I'd like to. Yeah, and um, well, maybe you might have to come up this way and hunt one of these state forests because there's probably more. Like I think there's even a few state forests, and like you know, people consistently get pigs out of them. But even like the harvest reports don't even have like you know any deer listed on them at all. Like. Um, and obviously they get fairly hit hard by the dogs and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I think they've, I think the pigs are sort of keyed on to, and this is going back to some advice from, um, Ned Makem from who used to do the game cancel thing and obviously runs a pretty successful pig dog hunting thing at the moment. Um, he sort of said, you know, the pigs are expecting, you know, they know to run from the sound of a, a low-range four-wheel drive essentially now because <laughs> that's the way they've been getting hunted for essentially decades in state forests, people driving along low and slow, dogs on the back, and then that's when all hell breaks loose for them. But, you know, like to someone, like, and I've even seen pigs at one of my state's forests, we are flying along the main, like, forest sort of road, like it's a normal just council road, doing, doing about 80Ks an hour on the on the gravel and drove straight past the mob of pigs feeding two meters off the verge of the road and they didn't even look up at the vehicle <laughs> they're the best and ones so, they're the best ones <laughs> they didn't even look at the vehicle and i told my mate i think it was my mate will at the time and i said just drive up the road you know 200 meters park up and we'll go back and have a have a, have a stalk <laughs> and anyways yeah we we pulled up um Walk back along, walk back along the road, and yep, there they were, still feeding. Um, couldn't get any clear or safe shots. Obviously, 
because of the proximity of the road and then eventually wind swirled and they took off. But, yeah, you know, I, I think if you'd have been driving along that road going as slow as you possibly could, they would have been long gone before you ever got there. Yeah, it's always the case when you least expect it and you least have a chance, that's when they're going to pop out when you, you, know, you can't shoot or when you've got your guns all packed away and you're heading home and... That's yep. always the bloody same, isn't it? What about any bucket list hunts, man? Anything you'd want to hunt in Australia or we'll go both Australia and overseas? Anything you want to hunt coming up, like you'd like to go overseas or or any bucket list species in Australia you'd like to get? Yeah, I do. I've got a, I've got a pretty extensive list, actually, of stuff I want to do. Um, with the Australian one, I guess um, top of my bucket list for that is probably I'd love to get down um, to Victoria and do sort of a – like that high country public land hunting for sandbar deer. Um, you know, that looks like it's a pretty, pretty good experience and some pretty good looking country. Um, and obviously they're a big sort of animal, so you can bring home a, a truckload of meat from that as well. Um, and I've also, I would love to do a duck season somewhere, whether that's in New South Wales or Victoria, but, you know, take 12 gauge out with some, with some mates and get into that. Um, love to do magpie geese hunt in the Northern Territory. I'm sort of more curious to what they taste like. Um, yeah, and if I'm up in the Northern Territory, I'd like to go hunt buffalo or something like that as well. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of good ones there. I'm probably going to make you jealous, but I'm heading away in the end of November for a bit of duck hunting down on the Riverina. So if you ever get a chance to do that, man, it's probably a fair hike for you. But, you know, maybe next year you might be walking along, mate. Come and shoot some ducks. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I'd love to. I'm sort of, when this whole, I'm sort of, it's sort of hard because I need to do that waterfowl identification test. And um, I spoke to New South Wales DPI and they essentially said, you know, Victoria, um, Victorian game department, sort of the ones that handle all that. Um, and I, I did ask when all this COVID happened because I started doing online testing for our license and stuff like that. I said, well, you know, while while we're doing this, can can we do a waterfowl identification test, like you know, online rather than me having to? So I think the closest place they might run these tests is probably Sydney. So I'm looking at probably you know a ten hour return trip and staying somewhere overnight to do a test i mean it'd be really handy if i could get that done online some way but yeah i need to get that done so i can get into the ducks but yeah i'm sort of once i get that i'm prepared to drive even to victoria if i have to to get into the ducks it just looks like so much fun yeah, no, and last, last year wasn't good for farmers on the rice fields, and this year they've got good numbers apparently in regards to water, water rights and stuff and their allocations of water, so it should be should be pretty good. But like I, sometimes it is hit and miss, you know, depends on where you go. A lot of, a lot of guys are willing to, to travel. I'm a bit, you know, a bit of a glamper, so to speak. So luckily I've got a good relationship with one or two farmers where – They've pretty much got, you know, basically a house to stay on, you know, freezers, electricity, um, you know, basically, you know, you go into town for a shower sort of thing through the caravan park and, you know, just it works, you know, because like nothing worse when you're like end of November, it's summertime and <laughs> you, you basically, you're sweating your quincer off and you, you're on the edge of a rice field and you've got to set up your camp and your tent, it's hot. 
Uh, and there's yeah, bugs yeah. everywhere, man. It's hot and there's mosquitoes and it's just like no, nothing better than going back to a house, make electricity, even you know, bring your fan, bring your air conditioner, bring whatever you want. You know, you can bring whatever you want. You're good to go. So, you know, it just makes yeah, things a lot, like more, go. lot more comfortable than, especially this area, man. Like you, you go to Riverina, it's like, when I first went there, so this is like, a, it's not even Australia. This is like, you know, I haven't been really out of the city. It's been to Melbourne, Brisbane, you know, etc. But when you go to the river, it's flat. It's just, it's beautiful, man. It really is. And like, I love going there. Hence, 10 years later, every year, I'm still going there every year for 10 years. So, yeah, you know. that's, that sounds pretty good. And it sounds like you've got a good setup there. And you'll yeah, love it. I mean, you'll love it. I, I do like camping, but I'm, I'm pretty partial to the, the glamping hunts as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> aren't we all? I mean, why would you do it? I mean, because I'll bring my camper down. I'll say, well, why would you bring the camper? Just bring something to sleep on, sleep in the house. Like, you know, like it's not as if it's a brand new house. Like it's old and run down. You go into the hallway, there's, you know, floor missing. And, you know, it's just an old beat up old shooter's shack. You know what I mean? So, yep. you know, which was formerly his old house. So that he used to live yep. in before building his new on his property. So just, mate, but hey, we're happy. We go there, mate. You can, you know, provided it's legal, you can do whatever you want, mate. You know, you pretty much rock out the back door and you can pretty much just start shooting you know what it, you start shooting you know what i mean have have fun you know a clay or two to get your eye in for a bit of checking or a bit of you know zeroing the rifle to validate before you go hunting mate fuck nothing better dude really it's like this whole when you realize when you live in the city there's a whole new world out there that we just don't know exists or we don't get much of because you know unfortunately we've got to go where you know the where the work is yeah which sucks, you know. If we imagine if we just win the lottery, wouldn't that be better? I win the lottery, I just I perpetually just hunt all year round. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> Buy a camper, yeah. you know, yep. set it up, batteries, you name it. It's gonna be good. Yep, everything. Mate, couple <laughs> couple of questions. I wanna find out what you you know, when you're preparing sort of your game meats and that before we finish off, just you know, what do you like cooking? I mean, you got to go out there for the meat. I do like that too when I get the opportunity on, you know, deer and stuff like that. Um, you know, small game too. When I get the opportunity to take meat, or you know, what are you what are you normally cooking? Uh, yeah, we 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 sort of cook a lot of venison, and um, I sort of try and take as much of the animal as I can. So you know, we got all the cuts. Like we're not just dropping out the back straps and hind legs or anything like that. We're taking you know shoulders, ribs, neck, taking taking the lot essentially. Um, Favorite sort of. Um, game dish that probably sort of dish up that um, wins over, you know, some family members that are a bit sceptical of eating something that someone shot or something that isn't a, a pig, a goat, I mean a pig, a sheep or a cow or a chicken, you know, it's sort of hard to do sometimes. But um, I like sort of taking a backstrap and sort of maybe like if it's a fairly long backstrap, obviously cut it so it fits like into a like a big cast iron skillet. I'll heat that thing up sort of pretty hot. Um, season season the backstrap with, you know, just keep it fairly simple, just salt, pepper, garlic powder, onion powder, bit of smoked paprika, something like that. Um, rub that into it, give it a nice hot sear in the pan. Um, and I'm obviously not a chef, so I use, I've got a like a meat thermometer I put into that. And then after I get the hot sear, I'll do that, put it into a tray and then put it in an oven at about 160 to 180 degrees Celsius uh, and just let that temperature until the internal meat temp gets up to about, I'm trying to think what it is in Celsius now, because I normally run that thermometer in Fahrenheit. I think it's about 100 and, 
130 Fahrenheit um, and then quickly pull it out of the oven once it's at that stage. Uh, and then you slice that up and you have like perfect sort of sort of medium rare sort of backstrap meat. Um, and I haven't had anyone leave any of that on their plate ever. Like even people that, you know, were sceptical about eating wild game, they'll they'll be looking for seconds for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and obviously just uh, dish that up with, you know, just some fairly simple um, I'd sort of style the Jamie Oliver mash. He sort of gets just potatoes, doesn't even like just washed potatoes, doesn't bother skinning them or anything, just cuts them up. Um, boils them up, and then when they're almost ready, just throws in some peas as well. Um, then drain the water out, mash that up, put a bit of olive oil, sea salt in that to season it, um, then just dish it up on that. Mm, man, sounds tasty. <laughs> I'll, I'll even blow your mind. I don't know if you've tried this yet. Buy one of those. You can buy them fairly cheaply these days. They started off, you probably read about you might even have one, but the uh, sous vide machine. Get the sous vide machine that goes in there. It's like a little, I'm not sure if you've seen them. It's like, yeah, little, yeah, yeah. Put yeah. them in the water. You go to the, you can go to the places. Then I normally go to like one of those, um, what would you call them? The places where they sell all the kitchen style stuff. And you buy yeah. like a little big container. You can use a bucket, man. You can use anything really, as long as you've got a big container. Yeah. And I put them in Ziploc bags. You, you can use the, um, uh, what are the ones, the vacuum sealers, but I don't generally, a bit more expensive. Chuck them in a Ziploc bag. I just clip them with a, a clothes peg from, you know, the, the washing on the side of the thing, fill it up. I normally put them on for, I don't know, whatever the, I can't remember, four or five hours, whatever it is. And they come out and you look at them first and you go, ugh, it looks a bit grey and ugh, not very appetising. <laughs> Mate, and then throw it on a hot pan, like crank that pan hot. Chuck yeah. it on there, you know, 30 seconds, 45, just to, I mean, super hot if you've got gas, if you don't, electrical, whatever, as hot as you can get. Chuck yeah. them on there. Oh, dude, I'm just telling you, you you're not going to go wrong. Like, it's just, do it with steaks. You can do it with anything. It just makes them so tender. Like, you know, and the longer yeah. you do it, the more they just, the more tender they get. And then just, yeah. you know, you're just putting a bit of colour on it. Even put them under the grill, like, you know, really close to the grill. Put them under the grill if you don't have, like, you know, you know hot, everyone's got a hot pan, but... You know, whatever you want to do, <laughs> put them under the grill, get a bit of colour on them, dude. You're not going to go wrong. Trust me. It's like I don't, I don't get to anywhere use mine even close to enough that I like to use it. But when I do, it's like, man, this is delicious. Yeah, it's definitely on the um, wish list of the kitchen toys. Um, yeah, speaking of, you mentioned gas there, and we actually just um, did some renovations just after tax time and got the gas line extended over into our kitchen, ripped out the old crappy electric oven that came with the house and put in a, you know, full gas oven and cooktop. And that's been the best thing we've done. Like just so much better cooking on gas and the electric stuff. Yeah. I, I was like, I'm, it sucks. I, was, I went from an old mold house into my new one and then, you know, no gas. And I'm like, ah, this sucks, man. So like, half the time when I don't have gas, I build, I make one like out the back underneath the thing. So I put like a cooker and <laughs> nothing better than cooking with gas, man. It's just so much better. Just you can tailor it more to what you need. You know, if you need to turn it down, you can turn it down, reduce heat as you need it. It's just yeah. awesome, you know. Yeah, probably probably my favourite. Like the backstrap's always, a, you know, like a crowd favourite and it's pretty hard to stuff it up if you look after it. Um, but probably like the easiest thing to cook up that you get the biggest reward from is probably the shoulder, I, I find. Um, we'll sort of whack, we'll sort of brown it off like and season it in a hot pan, um, whack it into like a slow cooker crock pot. Um, put in some like some beef or venison stock if you've got it. Um, put that in, 
um, some different vegetables. And then you just let that thing, you just put it on, go to work for, you know, you obviously work for eight or nine hours a day. And by the time you come home, dinner time, that thing just like you just peel all the meat off with a fork, like just falls straight off the bone. Yeah, you dish that up with nearly anything and eat that for sort of a week. (laughs) Nothing better than that. Or even, you know, like again, people don't like it. I normally, like some of my, I mean, I can't claim, do I just put a mix in there? Let's be honest here, but I make sausages, you know what I mean? And just put, I've got a couple of nice mixes that we've tried and, mate, they come out fantastic. And I think I went on, I don't know, it was one of those South African websites and you get the big grill basket and you get like a little stand that it sits on. So when I'm out in the field, I put the stand inside the grill basket, sort of, you know, just tie it up with the things, keep the handle together. And when we go out in the field, put the little stand out. Make get the big make the spiral sausages, you know what I mean. So I'm gonna be making for a crew, and then put them in the grill basket, and then you just keep turning the grill basket over until the the sausages are done, mate. Beautiful, like the South African Boravos one. You got, I think we've got um chorizo is a nice one as well. Worcestershire and pepper is a good one too. Herb and garlic, dude. Trust me, awesome. Like nothing better. Yeah, I'm um, just about to. go down the rabbit hole of doing a lot more sort of ground and like obviously sausages and stuff like that. I strategically um, bought my wife a Smeg uh, mixer for Mother's Day that came with um, a like a mincer and slash sausage attachment. Um, We've given that a crack, just mincing up um, some fallow just to make, you know, just some like some sort of ground, ground venison tacos and stuff with, which was good. Um, but yeah, I'm keen to get some sausage casing and go down that rabbit hole and, yeah, do sort of what you were saying. I love when people always say, too, they go, oh, you know, I bought this for the missus. I go, oh, yeah, did you? <laughs> <laughs> so it's more for yourself, but that's all right. Yeah, hey, but better, yeah. you know, at least make her think it's for her and then she can actually, oh, you can actually cook for us, too. And that's a win-win all around, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Mate, I know you told us a bit of a story earlier. Last one, finish off. Tell us a good story, man. Maybe a hunting story, something good day in your life, you know, where you you know, you had great success, you know, and um, I want to feel like I'm there. I'm living it. I want to feel time of year, time of day, what you were hunting. Give us a full rounded story, man. That's just to finish off the show. That'd be great. Yeah, right. On. So this is probably, yeah, um, I think I'll, I'll, I'll tell this story. So um, back in the day, Got into archery, ran around with the compounds for a while, you know, shot some goats, blah, blah, blah. And I eventually went, I want to learn to shoot, like, you know, recurve, traditional bow. So I found one of those that was fairly, fairly cheap. I think at the time it was about 250 bucks. So I purchased that from the local archery store here in Tamworth um, that's since gone, but um, purchased that. Um, you know, practiced with it every day after school. Eventually got to a spot where I was like, you know, I'm ready to go for a hunt with it. And I teed up um, my mate, uh, Tim, Tim Evans. And I think I was probably only like 14 or, yeah, probably only 14 or 15 maybe tops at the time. And he was probably only like 12 um it was it was summer it was stinking hot like we got up pre-sunrise we walked um we walked up to the neighbor's place like just <laughs> just walking along the road as we used to do just walk a couple of k's up road neighbor's place head up the back there we'd walked up this massive mountain stinking hot sweating everywhere walked up this mountain came down 
through some cliffs, out on some open sort of country, hadn't been seen anything, kept hiding up under trees. Uh, and eventually we started, we were sitting down again, as happens, and we started to hear some goats. And we're like, oh, yeah, this is this is sounding promising. And we came up over this hill, and this is the only game we'd spotted all day, and we crested this sort of hill, and there was a mob of goats, and I'm probably about 30 to 35 metres away. And and as we sort of crest this hill and we're looking at them working out, how can we sort of close that distance so that I can get in shot with a like a recurve bow and, like, you know, be fairly confident that I'm going to get this thing and get it on the ground. And, and eventually the wind swirled and they just looked straight at us. And I thought, you know, I have been practising out to – you know, 40 metres with the recurve, I'll, I'll won't waste this opportunity. I'll, I'll pick one and have a shot. And I, I drew back and aim this thing up a bit to allow for the drop. Cause you know, recurve bow shooting a big, heavy sort of wooden arrow and, you know, it's going to be moving pretty slow, but it's going to have a lot of punch behind it. Uh, let that arrow go, um, punch straight through, punched straight through this goat. I didn't see the arrow after that. And it sort of ran like sort of 50 metres and I saw it just go over a little bit of a ridge to like the to the left. Um, and then the, the other mob of goats um, ran, ran off to the right and started climbing back under this fence and heading back up into these cliff tops. And then as I started walking um, over to the left, my mate Tim went, oh, the... I think I can see your goat going down over to the right where they were, the mob was moving through the fence. I'm like, no, it definitely went, you know, it definitely went left. Like I, I saw it go over this hill and it, we were sitting there arguing for a bit and he's going, no, definitely, I just saw one like with <laughs> blood on it and it's just gone down over here to the right. I'm like, it can't have. I, I saw it go to the left and I haven't seen it walk back across like the hill face or anything and – Anyways, fair enough. I, I followed him. I eventually gave in and went, well, he's pretty certain. So I went over there and went, no, nah, that, that's that, like it's <laughs> it had my arrow hanging out of it and it was dead. And I'm like, that's not the goat I shot though. That's a like a, a ginger goat. I sh- shot a white goat and then it clicked what had happened. I'd shot two goats with the one arrow and killed, killed both of them flat. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the so best. That, that was – that was my um. That was my first, you know, sort of kill with a traditional archery gear. Was two goats with the one arrow, and they both piled up within fifty metres of where I shot. And it was also a fairly sort of long shot with the recurve. And this is only like to put it in perspective. This is only a, a forty-five pound recurve. Then at that distance, punching through two goats, and you hear. You know, people go, oh, I wouldn't shoot under, you know, 70 pound for deer or stuff like this. And you're going, you know, you, you, it's all about it's all about shot placement. <laughs> you're not going to kill anything just by hitting them anywhere. So. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's amazing how, like, just those arrows can, and the broadheads can just go straight through one and then through another. You wouldn't believe how, you know, it would do that, eh? But it's just, it does. It's crazy. I mean, sharp, eh? So I guess if you don't hit bone, it generally will do that. Yeah, and... um. Yeah, I guess that's it. And even even if you do, like uh, with the compound I've got now, I remember hunting with my mate Jason again and we came up out of this big gully and we've been chasing deer and pigs and come up 
and only about 30 metres away was this small mob of the goats and went, yeah, we'll, we'll get on to these. We'll take a, take a goat or something around out the day and drew back, shot at this goat with this four-blade broadhead I had at the time um, and I hit it through the front sort of shoulder arrow punch clean through this thing deflected and then the arrow lodged like 10 meters up in a tree like an like an iron bark tree just stuck up in there i think that arrow is still there because i've never found a way to get it down um <laughs> but that goat it's where the arrow that four blade broadhead hit its front shoulder it actually like severed its whole leg completely off like this it's just it was a fair bit of carnage and <laughs> yeah it's just crazy, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, man. The bows certainly. A couple of times, I thought I'd like to get into it, but then I think uh, I'm not even very good with a rifle these days. So, <laughs> how am I going to get close to an animal? And it's you know, when I do get the opportunity, I want to make it count. You know, I want to make it count with a with the rifle, so I can get some meat on the ground. You know, that's that's what I want to do because you know most of us don't get to go out all the probably including yourself too when everyone's got families even when you do close to places to hunt we don't all get out every single week or every day to go hunting sometimes you know four five six times a year if we're lucky at times you know depending on yeah, where you I live think, yeah that ratio is probably about right right for me probably about well like actual proper solid hunts probably only you know probably three or four a year and then oh like you know the spotlights probably do them probably more regularly but even then it's probably only like once or once every one or two months sort of thing. So, yeah. Exactly. Mate, if people want to find you, if they want to follow you on social media or if they want to jump on and have a look at what you're doing, where can they do that? Uh, yeah, so I'm pretty active on Instagram. Um, the account is Honky Outdoors, so it's at H-O-H-N-K-E Outdoors. Um, and also the same thing on YouTube. I've got a couple of videos there now, sort of some hunt and some fishing and catching and cooking sort of type stuff. Um, I haven't put much up on there, but I've got some content um, sort of sitting on the back burner at the moment. I'm just waiting for this uni break um, to start up next week. So once I'm finished my exams for the year, I'll get into some editing and upload some more content over that Christmas break. Um, yeah, I'm fairly, fairly active on both of those. Ben Honky joins me here on AHP to have a chat about hunting northern New South Wales. Ben, thanks for your time, man. I really appreciate it. It's been great. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.